The DWA podcast is recorded live to SD card at the old Wrigley building in Santa Cruz, California. Driving while awesome lockdowns radio hour. <laughs> oh God. Yo. Do you guys know what a fluffer is? GTO. Mellow grinds. Oh, I got a PT Cruiser. It's a convertible. It's really cool. Oh, this smells of crayons for you. <laughs> hey, YOLO. You only have one life. Do you have coilovers? No, beat it. Yeah, I'd say that's a pretty good podcast right there. (laughs) (laughs) Damn it, I screwed it up. (laughs) Fight those traffic tickets with Off the Record. Snap a photo of your ticket, answer a few questions, and get matched to an experienced lawyer. That's it. No mailing in your ticket, no showing up in court. Let the pros handle it and keep those points off your record. Use code AWESOME to get 10% off. That's offtherecord.com. Fight those tickets. Check us out and show your support at patreon.com forward slash driving while awesome, as well as, you know, giving us a little support for this uh, weekly podcast we provide. We also give you some cool benefits like free sticker packs, discounts on things in our store, like the license plate stickers, license plate frames, rally hats, a bunch of other stuff. You also get early access to DWA rallies if you're in the area and events like Camping While Awesome. Check it out at patreon.com forward slash driving while awesome. Welcome to Driving While Awesome. My name is Warren. I am Lane. Uh, Mart. And we have Nick Grio joining us today of Grio's Garage. How you doing, Nick? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, guys. No, thanks for thanks for being here. Yeah, we're stoked to have you, man. I mean, we, we haven't seen you for a bit since uh, Virtual Radwood last year. Uh, I see you kept the mustache, so it wasn't ironic. Huh? This is you're owning it. <laughs> oh yeah, it's come and gone. I mean, uh, I would say, as with any facial hair, if you don't have like a hygiene moment that makes you question it, mine was after eating sushi and putting a mask on. So uh, <laughs> had a little soy sauce transfer, and I was like, oh god. So it's come and gone a couple <laughs> times, but uh, yeah, I'm rocking it. Dude, looks nice. looks it looks uh, killer on you, brah. <laughs> and I'm still married, so I've got I can tout that. So hey, that, that's, where it's at. that's where it's at. Yeah, like for by me, the way, virtual Radwood yeah. feels so long ago. I was like, well, how I long can't... ago was that? A year, right? Probably was it? Yeah, I mean, yeah, we did virtual events as well, and I'm so glad they are over. Year and a half. It was a good filler for a little bit, but God, right? Yeah, it's... yeah, no replacement. The uh, for, for displacement, displacement. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> for in-person displacement for uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh yeah i gotta say that that the last bit there on the mustache if if the uh if the spouse is on board you're kind of locked in right like for me the guys know this like i'm not allowed to shave like my wife hates it when i shave so even if i trim my beard down like she says i look like a little boy so i, I have to keep the beard on um so th- it luckily, just says a lot about your face <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> yeah that's she says to, so she doesn't break my heart she says i look like a little boy realistic I'm just hideous. <laughs> just I can't look at your face. Exactly. Please cover it at yeah. some point. Cool, man. So, so what, the masks have treated oh, you well, is what you're saying. They have. That is very true. Yeah. Uh, so, Gri- yeah. uh, Grio. Grio. <laughs> Nick, <laughs> um, you mentioned some virtual events. Uh, what have you been up to now? Um, are you back in action in person? Oh, yeah. Stuff? I mean, we, uh, we slowed down last year for sure, but we shifted to, instead of bringing a semi-truck, we bought a couple Sprinter vans which allowed us to go to different states where they're still having car shows and, and do all the social distancing. And so we adapted there. 
this year we've pretty much put the pedal down and done more shows than we've ever done. Um, I mean, the last one we just did was SEMA, um, which I think was excellent. Uh, felt really good. Definitely down from 2019, but from our side, it was a success. So, um, I, you know, we're we're still going. And uh, we've had a lot of our competitors kind of stop going, whether it be just a corporate policy or whatever it may be. And that's just been our opportunity. And quite frankly, I care more about being out and being around people um, at this point, right, um, with everything we've gone mm-hmm. through. And the car community feels that way too, right? We're, we're standing outdoors. Nobody wants you to get close to their car anyway. So kind of works Poor itself face. out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. And speaking of which, you guys are going to have a nice presence at our upcoming Radwood SoCal event, which is this Saturday. Uh, is Chris Jacobs still joining us? Yeah, he is. Um, I'm pretty excited about that. And then I think you guys are going to be absolutely uh, thrilled with the uh, wagon that's going to be showing up there. In addition to Chris's uh, 911. So we, we'll have some pretty cool cars at that booth. We're really excited to support you guys. And uh, I know we, we did uh, Radwood PNW. And my excuse there for not attending was all of my Radwood era cars were not on wheels at that point in time. So um, I apologize, but I will not miss that one again because I am revved up for next year. <laughs> you're down You're down the street. Yeah, that's that's a big one. Uh, cool, man. Yeah, we're definitely excited. And um, the, the wagon that uh, Nick is talking about is Kyle's uh, E36. I think it's Techno Violet, right? It's that purple color, uh, which we've seen all over the internet. We still haven't seen in person. So we're definitely excited to check that out. And he's bringing out his pristine MR2. I think it's a supercharged AW11. Um, I can't remember if it's an A or not, but I believe it's supercharged. That's Kyle's car as well, Art? That's Kyle's car as well, yeah. And Chris Jacobs supposed to bring his 911. I don't know if he's still bringing it out. I think I don't know if he has an SC or a Carrera, Lane. Do you know? I, I, he brought I don't. It, he brought it to SoCal. It was in that yeah. in the display on the side. Uh, but oh yeah i remember that yeah, yeah but uh but yeah super nice car so yeah we're excited to have you guys and you know you guys are going to be handing out some samples um uh it's shoot jason told me what you guys are doing it's it's a new product uh can you tell us a little bit about that one yeah it's our ceramic glass cleaner um so basically you know ceramic is extremely hot right now um so hot that people are trying to move past it to graphene and there's definitely some legitimacy to that. But for us, we developed all that technology in-house and it forms around an intermediate that we can deliver to different uh, materials on the car. So glass um, in winter in particular is so critical for it to be clean and to just drive water away. Mm. This is not like Rain-X. I mean, it functions similarly in that your water is essentially flying off your windows so you have higher visibility but it's a much more capable cleaner and the actual durability is much greater than uh, Rain-X, which is a silicone based product. So we're pretty stoked about that. And again, all the in-house technology is just coming out and we're having a lot of fun making new products. Very cool. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, and you said there, there are samples of that. Yeah. So you guys are going to have that. And again, that's, that's safe for all glasses. So you guys down in, California aren't getting, well, you got some rain recently, but for us up here, it's yeah, just so yeah. critical to add that uh, protective element to your exterior glass. 
for sure it's very yeah. cool and we are going into um, winter so it is it is going to be a thing here even though we don't get a ton of rain like it, it is still a thing um so yeah speaking of technology and everything you mentioned you know you guys do your own thing so you are um obviously the son of richard griot who founded griot's garage and you grew up around all this tech and you know detailing products cars and everything um so yeah i'm curious to know kind of like how like you were influenced by that. Obviously, you're part of the company now. You're 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 a big wig there. Can I call you that? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and um, like, um, yeah. So like, what was what was your first car? Let's start there, and then let's kind of delve into your background a bit. All right. Um, well, my first car was a '79 300D non-turbo uh, Mercedes wagon. <laughs> Woo! Um, it was excellent, <laughs> man. I it was so it was dangerously slow, but um, yeah it was the right car to start with. I think he paid 500 bucks for it from uh, his doctor buddy. It was just sitting in his driveway. The driver door had been kicked in. So it was all dented. So I learned how to do body work. Uh, I redid the brakes on it. I put a stereo system, uh, which eventually got stolen because the locks, you know, the central locking didn't work, but uh, eventually uh, we were driving it to Mercedes to get it serviced and it threw a rod. It just like, my dad describes it as World Whoa. War II fighter pilot, you know, engine gets hit, smoke goes over. That's exactly how that car's life ended. So not really. How many miles at that point? Uh, it had 170,000 miles on it. Huh. Oh, that's kind of low. Yeah. It, for I, that I just think it was overworked. I mean, it was a 6,000 pound mm. car and, you know, I, I don't, at this point, I can't remember what state the motor was in, but the alternator dropped off. Yeah. We replaced that took it on the highway, it blew up. So, yeah, but that's a good first car though, man. I mean, I, well, in, in some ways, right. It is dangerously slow, as you said. So merging is, is scary, but, um, around town, fine, relatively safe, right. Pretty overbuilt car. And also the slow part is a double whammy, right? It's, it's good that it's slow because it keeps you out of trouble in some ways, but it also gets you in trouble when you're trying to flow with traffic. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'd say yeah, it was on the dangerous slow. side of slow for sure. But yeah, that's it, it was my high school colors. I had three hubcaps, you know, so it was, it was a there you go. sweet ride. And I, you know, drifted around the gravel parking lot. Maybe that had something to do with the engine. <laughs> I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 So that I like that philosophy, though. You know, I mean, that's like the Jay Leno philosophy, right? Giving your, your, your kid a car or a motorcycle or whatever that needs to be repaired and fixed up so that you learn and you get familiarize yourself with the mechanics of the vehicle. And um, you know, that, that's awesome to hear that that's how things kind of started for you. So after that, what, what did you jump in? So after that, uh, we went to a still very slow, uh, but more modern vehicle. I had a 2003, uh, Mark four golf is a two door, okay. two liter, eight valve, you know, it was the two point slow, right? So it was still slow, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, I did an H and R cup kit, put BBS wheels on it and, uh, you know, it was rad. I took, took great care of that car. And my two other brothers drove that car through high school. And, you know, just the hands-on approach was always my dad's approach, just kind of surrounding us with his lifestyle. And my friends would spend time in the garage. And, you know, we got in a ton of trouble because we'd like try and lower my friend's Jetta and we wouldn't be able to compress the springs. <laughs> so uh, there's a Jetta sitting in my dad's parking spot. So um, or cutting exhaust pipes to see if that changed the sound and melting bumpers. But we were always in the garage and just, it was an open forum where my dad could teach me and my buddies everything he knew. That's awesome. 
And so that car, what color was that car? That was a red one. And I put an R32 bumper on it, you know, exhaust. It was, it was silly, but it was fun. Yeah. I'm just curious nice. uh, color wise, right? Cause, um, certain paints are more difficult to deal with, you know, in terms of swirls and all that kind of stuff. So, um, did you find yourself kind of messing with that side of things as well and on top of the mechanics? Oh yeah. I mean, again, a lot of the routine maintenance, at least on modern cars now is in their appearance and washing them. And so my dad was always testing products and washing cars. And so I would naturally just wander out and I would do more or tasks that I couldn't damage a car. Right. So I was the wheel boy. Um, and then when I was in high school, I was working in our warehouse for, you know, pretty minimum wage doing the, the worst work, right? We were stacking pallets of two-ton floor jacks and all my high school friends and I worked there. And from being there, we learned, you know, how we sold our products and how to use our products in a more professional manner. So I quit and started a detailing business. And that's how I paid for beer and everything else I did to my cars through high school and college. That's awesome. That's right. So, um, so using all, all your products, obviously, but, um, had your own dedicated, uh, setup. Did you have a shop or were you doing mobile or what were you doing? No. And you know, this is whenever I meet young guys out on the road that are getting into detailing, I just say, Hey, look, you have more information than you've ever had available to you. This is a low startup business. If you've got a car, the best places to go where I went was local golf clubs. Cause golfers are dirty. You know, they throw their grassy shoes and mm. they go out on the course for four hours and they've definitely got cash, right? They're making bets with their friends or drinking beers on the links. So we would just wash their cars. Um, you know, I did I had three different golf courses I'd go to and that would just build my business for appointments. Uh, if I ran out of time on those days and, you know, we'd work from seven to seven, um, at the golf club and just, it was all cash. It was great. Oh, so you, you would just do it in the parking lot there? Yeah, we'd go behind the pro shop, you know, yeah. and we'd, we'd detail the yeah. golf pros uh, cars. So they'd give us lunch and it was just a pretty good setup. But, um, you know, it took some initiative, right? We needed to know what we what we were doing first, but our prices were in line with maybe our age. And then as people uh, started using us more, that just snowballed and we had more business than we could, you know, serve. Um, and I had great cost control because I was just stealing products from my dad's garage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that helps. Very that minimal overhead, helps. right? Yeah. That's, that's all profit there. That's awesome. Um, sweet. Yeah, man. Yeah, like we got a good, we got a big warehouse. Yep. We have amazing refund, you know, all that stuff. Like <laughs> that's pretty nice. So uh, like, cause that, that stuff can add up, you know, it's a big it's time. A nice little, nice so, little advantage. Well, it's how I, you know, modified my cars, you know, I, I, yeah. bought a set yeah. of BBS wheels with money I had earned and um, I, I'm my father's son. I've got car problems. And that was, that was pretty evident early on, but um, it was the pairing of, okay, now I've got a skill. I don't want to work for $7 an hour. I can make $25 an hour. And some of my friends were like working at a bait and tackle shop at a Marina, like chasing seagulls. And I'd be done working by noon and have 150 bucks to do whatever I wanted the yeah. rest of the day on, on some of those like, you know, house call appointments. Yeah. So how did that change or transition to you being more involved with the, uh, your parents' company? Well, you know, I went to, went to college in the Southeast and, um, I like there, I was you know, detailing my fraternity brother's cars before their parents would come in. So I was just kind of always in and around it. But when I came back from, uh, from graduating, my dad said, Hey, I don't want you to work for me. Like, I don't have a role for you. 
I don't think that this, you know, you should be forced to come here. So um, at that time we were uh, redeveloping this building that I'm in right now. And so I was coming to the job site and I met my first boss. He walked in the door and said, hey, I need a runner. And he was a commercial real estate broker. So I, uh, I got my foot in the door in an industry where a lot of young people don't get that opportunity and worked there for six years. But, you know, with commercial real estate, you divide your energy serving other people's businesses. And it, that's pretty frustrating. And it's hard to make money as a young guy unless you're on a team that's really productive. And at the end of the day, I was wearing a suit and tie. I didn't really like that. I liked the mm-hmm. environment and the nature of the business, but people would say, hey, can you go like look at my car? There's something wrong with it. So I'd be in my suit and tie in a parking garage looking at somebody's undercarriage. Like it was just, <laughs> I was always around or, or the car guy. So um, yeah. after about six years there, I, I was working on a requirement for Grio's garage in our manufacturing facility in Indiana. And I was like, man, I know everything about this business. Like I can represent this to anyone and mm-hmm. came back to my dad and said, Hey, this is it. I'm going to do this. I, I love this. This is what I know. And, uh, he said, okay, well, you're going to be our truck driver and you're going to go start our events program. And, uh, yeah, I, I think he, he relates it as like, shit, I was going to sell this business and, and ride off into the sunset. And now all of a sudden we've got, you know, the only, you know, business that's family owned with any kind of second generation operating in it. So it's worked out pretty well. And I absolutely am sick in the head with what I do. So it's easy waking up every morning. That's good. Yeah, that's good. That's great. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's all, that's the most important thing, right? That you're actually genuinely passionate about this and that you weren't strong armed into it and you're bummed out. Like, I mean, that, that's a, that's a more common story, right? Uh, where you kind of get like, you hear, uh, all sorts of different, uh, you know, businesses that, uh, whether it be food service or, you know, engineering based things. And, and then people were like, yeah, I did this for 50 years and I kind of hated it, but whatever, <laughs> yeah, um, right, right. which is the opposite here. Um, so, you know, what, one thing I did want to kind of dive into, um, you, you've been around us a lot. Um, you know, there's, you, you mentioned that you guys engineer all your own products. Uh, you know, these days it seems like there's, all these different, you know, detailing companies popping up everywhere with somebody slapping their name on it. I imagine that's all being, it's, it's all coming from the same place, right? Somewhere. Uh, but you guys are genuinely like R and Ding everything. And, you know, you're constantly comparing products and, 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 and figuring stuff out. So like, what is that process like? I mean, what, what can you disclose and are you involved with that process as well? I'm just curious. Yeah. So I'm actually the, um, I manage our product development department. And as I, you know, as my dad is, uh, doing less, I'm getting pulled into different departments as well. But I think I'm passionate about the mechanics of the products as well, because mm. at the end of the day, I get two hours on a Saturday to go wash my car when it's quiet. So I still really seek out the, the therapeutic aspect of what we sell. And because I use them, you know, I, I don't like being frustrated by those products. So from the process standpoint, um, there's some pretty common, you know, commodities that everybody needs. They need a car wash, a wheel cleaner. They probably need a bucket, some towels and some mitts. And so a lot of that, you know, had been created here at Grio's Garage before I came back and we're obviously of good quality. But when we think about a new product, 
Um, really, it might be looking at you know the marketplace and seeing if there's a gap that in our product line or um, a riff or a deviation like that ceramic glass cleaner. You know, we, we created this uh, intermediate that is the ceramic component of the rest of our ceramic products and realized, gosh, this has chemistry that can be applied to a different material. Um, let's, let's start working on it. And what is unique, as you mentioned, is that we have all the infrastructure in-house. We have a full team of chemists, four full-time chemists, uh, four full-time quality controllers, and then all the production and manufacturing in-house. So when the product development team comes up with an idea, we generally have some understanding of what the root chemistry is. Um, you know, if it's a soap, it's probably a surfactant. If it's, um, you know, something that needs to be slick and safe on the paint, like a detailer, it might be lubricant-based where you're not asking it to do a lot of heavy lifting. So we'll work with our chemists to say, okay, this is the base. This is what we wanted to do. This is our, you know, end cost target. And they start working with us. And if there is an existing product on the market that we respect, and there generally are, there's some very, very good products on the market that, um, you know, we always can tip our cap to our competition. I think that's one of the other good things about this space. We sell car wax, like nobody needs it. Right, we got to keep that in perspective. Like this is stuff that people want. And so I'm friends with you know, all of our competitors, but if they make some good chemistry, we'll definitely look at it and uh, try and outperform it in every way, uh, whether that be cost, uh, you know, some of the negative traits that they might have, like it, it's too alkaline and it hurts my throat or it's, you know, it's super effective that way. But gosh, I don't want my kids around when, when mm -hmm. I'm using this. So how can we get a similar performance, but maybe use a less aggressive approach and also make it smell Sweet. good? Um, that, that's yeah. the, that last point that you just touched on there at the end is, is what I had in mind. You mentioned, you know, something hurting my throat. I mean, there's chemical stuff, but there's also just a simple scent, right? Like it's, it's, it's something that you want to use because it smells so nice. It's almost like you can't, you're looking forward to the opportunity, like your heavy duty wheel cleaner. It smells so good. It's like, it's kind of like grapey. Like it smells kind of like a Concord grape. You can't grape drink or it, Art. I have to repeat. You cannot drink it. Um, you, you can, but I don't recommend it. No. Um, but that stuff is not only does it work extremely well, but it actually smells great. And and that's consistent across the board. All Grio's products smell awesome. And, and that's that's one pleasant thing about them too, right? Yeah. I mean, the my dad has got the most sensitive nose on planet Earth. Like he'll know if you ate something with garlic two days after you did. Um, and so he is the ultimate must have been tough in high school. Yeah. He's the ultimate. Yeah, I know. Exactly. I, I did not get away with a lot. I'm the oldest kid. So I was, <laughs> oh least, man, first one to it go was through short, it. You know, I, yeah. um, made a lot of mistakes that my siblings didn't have to, we'll say that much. <laughs> yep. Uh, but really it's, it's a, to your point, you know, scent is tied to memory. And if you have a pleasant experience with something, uh, you might be inclined to do it again, but then there are active ingredients that, you know, can, can create unpleasant effects. And if you can mask them to a point uh, or even, you know, not sense them at all and have a pleasant scent, great. And it is a, that's a, a actually a hard variable to manage. Uh, scent and color can really destabilize chemicals. So you kind of have to walk the line there. Um, but at the end of the day, I think we generally accomplish the goal of something that's pleasant to use and effective. Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. Like and it. and that's and especially with the heavy duty wheel, wheel cleaner, you think of that as like the nastiest, most corrosive thing, right? It's like heavy duty wheel cleaner. It has to basically remove the not nastiest stuff, right? And it's like the nicest smelling thing. So it's like it, you guys killed it with that one. Um, and um, yeah, that is that is something that um, I did want to ask you. I'd mentioned like, you know, there's a ton of wheel cleaners out there, right? And so like it's the finding that balance of, of keeping it safe on a surface uh, and not having it be, you know, super destructive but still make it really really you know effective is just that's like the, that's the fun stuff you know i love that sort of science where um you guys have that in-house and are you know experimenting with things like that um yeah it's just it's fascinating to me that's it's pretty fun and one of the cool things is that we you know we have a diverse range of vehicles here that we get to test on so if you're talking about you know raw magnesium wheels or um you know just aluminum, clear coated, whatever it may be, you know, you don't want to mess up an expensive wheel set. Um, so yeah, balancing uh, effectiveness with, so if we can achieve with our wheel cleaner, pH neutrality, um, but have an active, like the one in heavy duty that breaks down ferrous metals and brake dust, well, gosh, you've, you've now done both things. Whereas something that's more acidic will be extremely effective but it could eat away your clear coat. It could mar uh, a raw metal wheel. Um, so there, there's a, a balance there. And most of the time you have to balance it with directions, which nobody reads. So it's a, it's a fun <laughs> game a to play. Yeah. 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 That's why in-person, I mean, the in-person stuff is so valuable too, right? Cause you have those conversations with people and it's like, you know, no one reads, no one wants to message, no one wants to call. Right. So it's like, if you're right there, you can be like, Hey, this is what I'm looking for. Like, tell me how to use it. What do I need? And, uh, and that's, that's very valuable. I think, you know, we're, um, yeah, cause it's, it's, it's a tough, tough one. Um, especially for you guys, right. Where you, you know, that it could potentially damage something if it's not done correctly. Um, and I'm sure you have those conversations, right. But it's like, Hey, <laughs> the information's right there. <laughs> yeah. You guys know people just love their cars. They, if they get to the point where they've got something they're proud of. And I think what you guys have done so well with Radwood is you're celebrating cars that have not been celebrated. Like, you know, a shiny K car, that's like an anomaly, right? Like, but right, right. somebody's been holding on to that for long enough to, okay, now I'm in vogue again. Well, you know, how do I make it nicer? Well, lot, yeah, that's where there's a lot of nuance. And, and, you know, the first rule of detailing is do no harm, much like the Hippocratic Oath, right? It's you don't want to mess anything up. So if we can guide somebody through and you can just see, you know, a husband and wife, they care about a car. They, they want to know the right way to do it so that they can, you know, properly care for it. And that that is lost digitally. I mean, we do a lot of it in YouTube, but, uh, and sometimes it can spiral, right? You can spend 45 minutes talking about polish and paint on somebody's <laughs> yeah. car. It's like, gosh, man, I, I need to go, right? Uh, but, <laughs> but it's better that way. I, yeah. and, and I think cars, right, they're meant to be shared. They're not meant to be parked in a building and looked at as just pictures. Mm -hmm. Good. Well said. Well said. Um, do you want to get into some of these questions, Art? Yeah, let's do it. If you're good with that, Nick, we got a couple listener questions to go through. Yeah. I'll start at the, start at the bottom. Um, Kellen Patler says, I've seen some videos of the Griot's family collection of cars. Would like to know which Radwood era car in the collection would Nick bring on a Driving While Awesome rally and why? And maybe we should talk a little bit about this collection because um, I've from virtual radwood we got to see a little bit of it but 
it's uh, very impressive. Thank you. I, that's that's my dad. I, granted, the ones you see are the impressive ones. The uh, there is a graveyard of uh, some <laughs> mistakes, uh, some overpromising, yeah. right? Or maybe uh, <laughs> mistakes some were made. Impulsive yeah. eBay or bring a trailer decisions, but uh-huh. no, we've we've got a healthy collection of Radwood cars for sure. I mean, I think it's just when I think about Radwood, it's like a balance of modernity and all the modern stuff you don't want. And then Mm -hmm. there's just, I don't like new cars at all. Um, I just, I don't like being shouted at. So what's your, what's your cutoff? Is there like 2010, 20, 2005? (laughs) So I, I've kind of found a sweet spot in early two thousands. You know, I, I love the E39 M5. Um, I, I daily, uh, well, when I'm not right, my Jeep, which is my general daily, you guys saw it, virtual Radwood. Um, it's been in major surgery, but uh, 2001 100 Series Land Cruiser thing is excellent. Nice. It, it does everything yep. you want it to do. It's just mm-hmm. parts and, and maintenance. And gas. And, and gas, yes, very much so. <laughs> A lot of gas. A lot of gas. But, uh, and then like the, my, my car that I bought uh, when I went to school was a 04 um, R32, Volkswagen R32. And I've, I've been able to rebuy one of those. That car is just great to me. It's analog. Mm-hmm. It, it has modern performance, maybe not as much power as it could have. Effective air conditioning, airbags. That's it. No other. No yep. annoying styling elements either, which helps a lot. Yeah. Right? And, you know, these modern cars, they're very safe, but they're, they're too safe in some sense. Well, granted, the people that drive them probably, they yeah, <laughs> negate all of the safety. But mm-hmm. you know, the A pillars and visibility, the lack of glass, um, you know, that's all terrible. Uh, kind of a terrible result of the of the safety, right? You've got airbags in every mm-hmm. single pillar, so it's like three times as wide. And uh, mm-hmm. if you change lanes without signaling with nobody around, the seat vibrates, the steering wheel can tug you <laughs> like that. That's yeah. intolerable to me. So I'll suffer through old car ownership uh, way more than I like anything modern. But yeah, probably mid two thousands is my cutoff. Yeah, we're right there with yeah. you, man. We're very, very aligned, and including everything you mentioned, down to the R thirty two and the Land Cruiser. Uh, we just got out of a, a new G eighty M three press car, and you know it's a phenomenal car, and you know it's a very good execution of of a modern performance sedan, especially because it feels very analog in many ways, even though it's got a lot going on under there and it's relatively simple, all that, but you still suffer from some of those things like the tech, right? And, and the, the lane keep assist is brutal. Like it's, you know, it's, it's almost unsafe for us, right? Because we know the line we're taking. And then all of a sudden you have this unexpected tug in the wrong direction. Lane almost hit a cyclist once. And, and I think it was in a CA Corvette that we had like, no, <laughs> just, no, it was a BMW X six. Oh, uh, was that one? Yeah, yeah, M. X6 something. M? I was with Warren, yeah. yeah. So gnarly. We yeah. actually, it avoided the cyclist and almost made us go head on with another car. Wonderful. But it, but it didn't yeah. need to avoid the cyclist. The cyclist was in his own lane, you know, in the, in the bike lane. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was, it was gnarly. <laughs> so what's, uh, what's in the Radwood uh, portion of the collection, and what would you bring on a uh, three-day rally on the best roads in the world? So it's, it's like... Curvy roads, rally style, not, not just uh No, you know, dirt optional, but definitely B roads, uh, canyon carving, et cetera. Um, man, I mean, the we have some some German cars in that era that are just 
excellent for that task. I think the the detail wagon, you guys have seen that, that we built. It's got an M60 V8 oh, yeah. rear drive. That thing carves. You know, we had it on yeah. the Lorellis grade in Monterey a couple of years ago. And, you know, because that engine is shorter, it actually doesn't understeer or it is as piggy as you'd think it was um, mm-hmm. putting a V8 in, in a car that was designed for a straight six. So that would be a good choice because just torquey and makes great noises. But um, man, if I had the choice of just thrashing one of the cars in the collection on that, it would be the um, yeah. the one ninety E Evo two. Oh, so choice. Benz. <laughs> fantastic right. choice! Yeah, that's my favorite one. Yeah, so imagine Lorellis grade for a hundred. Yeah, that would be excellent. And you just spin that thing up high, and yeah, just keep it wound up and yeah. go right. And the one we own yeah, has, really you know, has a decent amount of miles on it. So it's not a brick. It definitely can be enjoyed, but uh, it, it, it's pretty nice, right? I mean, it's, I wouldn't want to yeah. go, mm. you know, drive interstates with it, but I definitely take it for a spirited yeah. jaunt. By the way, can, yeah. can you, um, can you talk about the detail wagon a little bit more like what it is? Cause I, I mean, for people who don't know what it is, you mentioned it's a swapped wagon, but um, it's an E30, right? Yeah. So it started life as a, uh, 89 325iX touring. So I'm gonna we committed blasphemy, right? We we chopped up a car they didn't make a lot of, but we got it from Japan and it was a it's not a nice car. And uh the first thing that you know we all sat in it, we were driving it around. It was funny because it was like, you know, they I don't know if you get in JDM cars and like you have all these bells and there was this like lady yelling at you in Japanese started the car. <laughs> it's pretty funny, but uh you know, uh, Richard, my dad did not like the the shorter door, um, like the B pillars right on his shoulder. He's very particular about that and said, Hey, like, can we do something? This car needs a full restoration. Why don't we do something kooky with it? And could we put a, could we graft a coupe door on it? And really that means, okay, we're moving the B pillar back. We're sacrificing the length of the rear door, if not losing it altogether. And we had a E30 M3, uh, that we still currently own and started just taking some measurements and sure enough, the, the coupe door could, could be affixed if you move the B pillar back nine inches and then the actual fender from uh, the M3's B pillar to the rear of the car was the same dimension as uh, where that B pillar would be to the back of the touring. So all of a sudden this two door swap becomes, okay, we're going to put a E30 M3 body on this thing. And um, the engine, I think we could still probably debate that, uh, you know, if it had been an S52 or an S54 out of a more modern M3, probably would have completed the, the M3 aura of this, but we chose the M60, which is a pre Vanos, uh, V8 out of a 1995, 540. It had a six speed manual. So we dropped that in there, which meant we had to lose, uh, the front, uh, aspect of the all wheel drive system. So it's now just pure rear wheel drive. It's got 300 horsepower, fully custom exhaust system, six-speed manual with a brand new clutch. And then the body work was extensive. You know, we had to cut that car up. But I think one of the biggest compliments we receive on the car is that nobody can tell that it's been done, right? It looks like a factory modification. Um, Mm, So rad. And so it just went wild, right? It it started off as like, I don't like how how this feels. And then it just snowballed. And we debuted it at SEMA. So we decked it out with all sorts of Griot's Garage products and called it the detail wagon. The concept was that we'd have a water tank, 
you know, a, an inverter so you could run orbitals. All that stuff never ended up becoming functional because of the FEMA crunch, <laughs> but it looked awesome. And, you know, we got HRE wheels for it and it's just a rad, rad Frankenstein. And, uh, it's so cool. Did you save the rear door or did you have to, did you? It's a two door, right? Yeah. So it's, so we pretty much had to uh, create a custom subframe where the door was, but the nice thing was that the, uh, the glass, the rear glass, it actually, if you flipped it, if you took it from the passenger side to the driver's side, it fit in that space really well, but it's completely custom, um, inner frame. And then the M3 fender, uh, just kind of bridges the gap, but it's, it's That's OEM awesome. steel from uh, BMW. Oh, wow. And then we sourced a couple things from our local E30 nuts uh, around here, which there are plenty in the Puget Sound region. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah. Dude, Dan, and you guys killed thing, it. Yeah, very cool. It's very cool. And, you know, we've seen those around. People try to make those, you know, the, the E30 M3 wagons, you know, uh, but it's they're always like wonky and like the way that they graft on the fenders is janky and like, they just don't look right. And you guys have like executed it so well. I think that the two door thing looks killer. Uh, it's such a great looking car. And, um, yeah, we, we didn't have it at our recent PNW event, but we did have it at the first one we had in 2019 out there. And it was, it was definitely welcome there. We hope to have it at more shows cause it's, it's a really cool car. Yeah. I don't want to do a shameless plug, but there's an excellent video that, uh, we made on our YouTube channel about that car, if you wanted to see it. And really the, the magic is done by the guys who did the body J rod and custom. And then Forrest, who is our foreman for Grios motors, super young, extremely talented fabricator. And he just put his heart and soul into that car. And, and it's awesome. That's very great. cool. Yeah. That's cool. Plug, yeah, plug away. I feel like it's uh, we had a little show at uh, Laguna Seca last weekend for uh we we had a display at the velocity invitational and there's that uh futurista lancia delta integrale thing yeah um so they kind of in my opinion they messed up because they kept the four-door front door and made it a two-door and uh you guys did it right extending the door and making the proportions right where this has this little stubby front door and then nothing in the back and you know kind of like they missed the mark where you guys kind of executed it. Essentially. I mean, I don't know that the car has paid for itself yet. I mean, it's gone. It's, <laughs> it's done a lot of marketing on our behalf, but, yeah, yeah. but that was a, I mean, that was an expensive decision for sure. I mean, there are a lot of hours in doing that, but again, it's mm-hmm. the, the, just the talent of the, the J rod crew and their, their metal fabbing. It's, it's not discernible, but yeah, I love the automobile almost. Those are so cool. I, I love those integrales. And, um, but yeah, I mean, cutting up an integrale and pulling the door back, you know, you're going to piss off a lot of people, but at the end of the day, I, I never care about that. Right. It's yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah. I think they, that are, they already yeah. cut it up all, you know, anyways. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the you know details like that matter though for, cause I mean, that car is all, I mean, who's it being marketed to, right? It's a very high net worth client who is a huge fan of this particular vehicle and they're willing to pay for the right design and execution. Right. And so I think as Lane's saying, like, you know, if they would have done it the other way, I don't think it would have deterred people. How much is that going to add to each car? 50 grand? I don't know. Like, is, does that matter? Probably not, you know, but it's hard to say. Yeah. Uh, Monty E30 Guru says, Hey, Nick, the other day I saw someone wiping an entire car. Nothing fancy. It was just a daily driver Corolla, but fairly new with WD 40, like a waterless <laughs> car wash. What the heck? 
I have read the myth. What is your take on this method? Okay. Myth? What's what's the myth? Uh, so the <laughs> what the oil like penetrates the paint if it's dull or something? Or yeah, like yeah, you're gonna thing? get some filling, some effect. Uh, yeah. And and again, we get in arguments about whether WD-40 is a lubricant around here, right? Um, it's actually like a, a big running joke, but you would definitely be able to clean with WD-40. Would you do more harm than good? I would think so, you know, and in general, it, it's just not, um, it's not going to be slick enough without, again, there's some solvent in that product as well. So you're going to be harming the paint if you get a short-term gloss from it. Uh, but I would not recommend that. There's so, I mean, I think you could get a bottle of Speed Shine for just a little bit more than WD-40 and be in a better situation. Right. So uh, mm. I do not recommend that. The other thing you see a lot is okay. people with Windex and paper towels and all of those things that touch your paint. You know, every time you touch your paint, you're abrading it in some way. So if you're just introducing a more aggressive chemical or a harder towel, uh, such as a paper towel, yeah, you'll get it clean. But most people's eyes aren't trained to look at what they're actually leaving behind, which is swirl marks, abrasions, potentially, you know, degradation of their clear coat. And I mean, modern Corolla, I'm going to guess that guy's probably just trying to get it clean. Right. Doesn't really care too much about anything else. Yeah. 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 Do you think about the long-term, like what do the judges say at Pebble? That's yeah. the real question. I know, right? <laughs> Your Will St. Clair on WD-40. Dude, so my dad um, told me that in the late 60s, people used to use brake fluid on their tires to shine them up because it uh, would last a really long time. But like that's so corrosive. I bet it definitely ate up the rubber, you know, over time. Everything. The wheels, the rubber. Yeah. Right? It's so nice. To, yeah, it's insane. I would not recommend that one either. That's yeah. that's pretty good. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, we do a lot of hot rod shows and uh, around the country. They're great shows. Um, you know, probably not the. There's probably some overlap uh, with the. Uh, you oh, know, yeah. just if you like cars, you're gonna find something you like. But the horror stories and just the wives' tales about I used to do this, that, and that. That's a lot to disarm, right? Being as young as I am and trying to talk to somebody who's mm. in their sixties and and stubborn. Uh, man, it, you got to un yeah. unwrap a lot of that. Dang. Yeah, I bet. Uh, let's see here. Mr. Lovrak says, I will be polishing some very dull single stage paint on my Volvo 240 with Griot's protection uh, product soon. Should I do anything to remove the oxidation before like a 2000 grit wet sand or should I just go straight for a cutting pad and compound? Uh, he says, bonus question. Uh, what sealer or coating will keep the single stage paint from losing its luster the best? Okay. Awesome. Yeah. That's, that's really important. And in particular, um, you know, the Radwood air cars that there's a lot of cars that are single stage and, you know, oxidation is, is very common with single stage paint. It's, it's common with clear coat as well. But um, the biggest thing I can recommend if you've got original paint or a car that's that old is to find somebody, um, who can measure the thickness of your paint before taking any approach at all. Um, I was just measuring my, I have a 89 uh, FJ62 is my grandpa's car. I'm the third owner of it. And uh, I took a paint gauge to the entire car to figure out how much was on there because we're about to detail it for a video. And in that you can find where uh, parts of the car that may have been refinished 
So if the mill ratings on that paint gauge are thicker, it generally indicates Bondo or some type of repair or respray. Um, and with the Volvo, uh, if it's original paint, again, it gives you kind of a measure of how much paint you can remove uh, in order to improve the paint finish. So that oxidized paint is dead. You've got to get rid of it one way or the other. But if you get rid of too much, then you're thinning out your color code probably unnecessarily. When at the end of the day, like you should be happy with how your Volvo looks if you can get rid of the oxidation. Um, mm. But that's relative, right? I don't want to diminish him from going and making it a show car because that's people like to do that as well. So measuring is the first step. If you're confident with your, if you have enough paint and you're confident with wet sanding, that is the fastest way to remove that top dead layer that is oxidized. But you can definitely do it more safely with compounding um, and, and machine uh, polishes and pads. The biggest thing is that when you are approaching it with say a foam pad and you're removing that paint, that oxidized paint uh, with an abrasive, it's going, that paint is going to transfer into the pad and it's gonna load up the pad. So the biggest thing I can recommend is if you intend to do it by machine, which is the safer approach, we'll leave more paint on the car. Um, you just have to clean and use more pads uh, than you might necessarily use on a modern clear coated car uh, where you get a lot less material transferred into the pad. So it can be done. Um, and, and it's very easy. We do it all the time, but you just kind of have to cycle your pads because as they get loaded up with paint, they get hot, they become less effective. And so it, it, you'll probably have to do it over multiple days if you don't want to buy say 12 pads. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's totally possible and it can be done safely. And then for the protection step, depending on how the car is stored or presented, that's where I would guide it. Um, most of our waxes at this point will have some UV inhibitor. Our ceramic 3-in-1 wax is super easy to use. And really, you're just blocking uh, UV degradation that is going to lead to that oxidation. And if the paint's old enough, if you're parking outside in California and you've just cut off the top layer of oxidation, it's most likely going to return at some point in time. It's just a matter of managing it and how long you can go between uh, kind of those more substantial correction or polishing steps. That that's actually that reminds like me of something that I just experienced uh, yesterday. So, um, so Warren's car, his daily driver, <laughs> it, you know, is a Mercedes wagon, and it has plastic headlights, and um, and it was over at my house. So I'm like, you know what? I have some stuff here. Let me let's see if I can get the shit off. And so I did. But then he's like, yeah, I've already done that a few times. It just keeps getting because I think he, like the the UV protective coating is gone. So throwing some wax like that on there would be would that would that be a, a way to kind of mitigate that? A so bit? what year is the wagon? It's a 2004. So that's like sweet spot so, of oxidized headlamps. And at, at that age, I would almost certainly yep. say that the entire coating has failed. So the, yeah. you can brighten it up by polishing it. But the real thing you need to do is do some sanding. You have to do wet sanding in that scenario. So, um, for example, the, the restoration process that we recommend for something like that would be three sanding steps that you do by hand. Um, starting, you could start pretty aggressive at 600 to 800 grit, and then you work your way up with sanding steps until you finish at about a 3000 grit. Um, mm -hmm. so it's a lot of work, but you know, headlights on that age Mercedes are going to be mm -hmm. expensive. Um, so it's, it's definitely worth yes. it. And then if you don't skimp on those sanding steps, you'll be able to remove the coating completely. And then you would apply, uh, a UV, uh, paint or ceramic coating, which is what we offer 
but um, just polishing it with one of our compounds, it'll brighten it, it'll clear it up, but you need to fully yeah. remove that, that failed coating. Yep. Yep. Exactly. That's what we were talking about. Um, <clears throat> I have one other question here and it kind of is what we just covered with that, um, that single stage question, but, uh, uh, big fat flip says, um, what tips do you have for restoring and protecting original rad era paint, particularly less durable JDM paints? And that made me think, what paints do you see are the least durable and, and the toughest to work with without causing damage? So it really varies by manufacturer. Um, I mean, to his point. And probably the, years. Yeah, too, job, right? and, and yes, the, the type of whether it's a single stage color coat. Or, um, you know, mid-90s, they were starting to transition more to color clear. I think Porsche was one of the last holdouts uh, to still have single-stage paints. Single-stage paints are really workable. Again, it, it, but paint is finite. So I think that is always what I'll go back to. If, you gotta, if you're trying to make it perfect, you got to know how much material you're working with. And what's nice about um, color coat or single-stage is that especially at that age, they're generally easy to work. They're softer. And I, I know that from experience. I can't categorically state each particular car is going to be that way because if the car was refinished at some point in time, um, you know, you, you have to develop that uh, expertise over time. But as I mentioned before, measuring, you can do a very mild approach with a, a softer pad and a mild polish Um just to see where that's getting you. You don't need to, uh, you know, treat that aggressively because like I said, those, those era cars, Radwood cars, they they're tend to be, if they're in the eighties, they're almost certainly single stage. Yeah. This one is a clear coated one. It's a, I think it's like a mid nineties. It's that, it's that green metallic. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm certain it's clear coat or clear coated car. Yeah. And again, the, the timing of when those manufacturers would switch over to color clear, right. Uh, Clear coat is less expensive than color uh, colored paint. So at some point they figured that out um, and started transitioning to that and leaving less color there. So it, uh, even so, Japanese clear coats in general uh, are um, softer than, say, a German clear coat, which uh, modern German clear coats are even ceramic based. They are very hard to work with. And the way you just determine if something is soft or hard is if you are familiar with a process and you repeat that process on a car and it doesn't respond the same way that you're familiar with, you would guide your approach based upon how that paint is responding. If, if this usually brightens it right up and clears all the swirl marks out, well, you might be dealing with a harder paint system and need a more aggressive abrasive. So start in a small spot, uh, start with a mild approach. You can always do more, you can't undo, um, and then get to the level where you're happy, right? Because as I mentioned, paint is finite. You're going to have to polish your car, you know, probably more than a hundred times to get through it, but there are still thin spots and places where you wouldn't want to overwork them, such as, you know, uh, leading edges, uh, you know, hard seams on a fender. It, uh, it's definitely very involved. We could talk about polishing for hours and hours, but I'd encourage that person to, to do it, to jump in, um, trust your judgment in terms of what you're seeing with your eyes and then just start slow and, and you'll learn. I like it. I have, I have one for you. Um, my wife's car has, um, has a film on the inside of the windshield and I've tried 
to clean it. It doesn't, it looks clean until the right condensation or the right amount of defrost is needed. And it's just like smudges everywhere. How the hell do you clean so is, uh Was a car bought new or a used car? I mean, it's a used car now. Yeah, it's a it's a 2004 Lexus, but um, it's just the it looks clean, you know, until the right uh, temperature or whatever, and then you can just see every wipe mark. And yeah, smoke. the only reason I ask is, you know, if you get into say a smoker's car after you've used it after you bought it new, uh, there's a substantial amount of film that you might need to remove. That being said, the right, age of right. that car and kind of the soft touch plastics of those mid 2000s it's most likely that it's off gassing from the material that is in and in the interior um, that has found its way up onto, you know, the windshield, just given temperature variations. So uh, it's, it's probably a more substantial material, in which case I would say, try something like um, a tar and sap remover, um, whether that be, there's an excellent 3M product you can find at every auto parts store. Um, We just debuted a couple of them as well, but it's what I had to do in my, um, my Land Cruiser was a, owned by a smoker, and just in chasing down yep. that a cigarette scent, I I just deep cleaned everything. But yeah, yeah, that's a good call. I don't think smoke was a factor, but um, definitely age might be, and then also like not getting it to drip down onto the dash and then creating like a mess. You got to like set it all up. It's a little bit of a process oh, yeah. that people I don't. Yeah, think and glass about. again. It's so uh, it's my least favorite thing to clean. It's you interact with yeah. it every time you drive your car. Um, if you've done it poorly, it pisses you off, um, you know, just yep. with glare. So what I recommend with those, you know, tar and sap products, you don't want to spray them in the car. You want to spray them directly onto a towel, then bring that into the car. Uh, just be careful that you aren't running it into, um, you know, touching one of your interior materials probably won't be bad, but letting it sit or yeah. pressing on it would be bad. But see if that works to just cut it cut the film off and you might have to work it a little bit, but if it starts to smear, it's most likely degrading and you're going to just have to keep working it. Just work it. Yeah. Yeah. Good call. And I'm curious about that though. So just, so let's say it's a tar and sap remover. Um, and, and, and Warren will be using the Griot's version. (laughs) Um, but after the fact, like I imagine, uh, you still need actually like a glass cleaner right there. So is there, do we want do do people out there need to be concerned about like interaction with like ammonia or base things or anything like that after using tar and sap because i know like chemicals like that can can off gas pretty pretty gnarly and, and get you really sick yeah i mean the the most prominent ammonia based window cleaner is windex it's super effective but um in particular it will kill window tint so and not only be it'll kill window tint and it's also noxious you know in in your car's interior so um when you're using the tar and sap trigger it, it will be a solvent based product. So I you know, recommend opening the windows up or, or opening the doors up, just getting some circulation in there. Um, but then you're to your point, Art, you would probably need a secondary step because there will be a little bit of residue left behind. And um, none of our window cleaners in particular uh, contain ammonia. Uh, they're generally more um, isopropyl alcohol base uh, in one of them. And then the other one is more of a true uh, surfactant base cleaner. So not nothing harmful in there that, you know, you, I would feel uncomfortable telling you you're, you could have all the doors closed and clean up after that. But for that initial step, definitely, uh, you know, don't, don't huff it, uh, unless you're into that. Um, yeah. But. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think most of the window cleaners here, like for automotive purposes are, are ammonia free, at least the ones that we, 
we've seen in California and stuff. Yeah, so. yeah. And it's critical right. because if you're yeah. in California, you tint your windows, you know, we don't have to worry about that up here. So yeah, right. you, you bring Windex and you're just killing your tint right away. You'll see it. I mean, it'll, it's an immediate effect. I wonder if that's why it bubbles. Is that why it bubbles? Yep. We always see cheap well, tint over- bubbled. I always figured that was age uh, related mainly, but over time, some of those WD 40, maybe. maybe. Yeah, any <laughs> solvent base that you're putting on tint will probably degrade that tint. But if you're seeing bubbles from the outside in, it's probably related to the age or the quality of the film. Um, yeah, yeah. That's a good Definitely. look, the purple uh, bubbly tint. Yeah. Yeah. We should also say we don't tint our windows, but because no. we don't think they look good on old, it looks good on old cars, but. That's a nice I, well, I don't, I don't win that argument either. I mean, I, I was going to put, you know, like 50% <laughs> tint on my Jeep just to, cause I've got two little kids and I want to cross the country in that yeah. thing, but I, I can't get past the aesthetic either. So same. Yep. Yeah. We're, we're, yeah, that's the, one new of the cars, first things new that cars comes are up. different, but yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, one of the first things that comes off. <laughs> we got to go. Any car with any kind of like stainless or aluminum or, you know, chrome trim. No, window tint doesn't work. So, yep, yep. Yeah, my favorite is so, dealing with the rear defroster tint. Ah, uh, yeah, that's good oh, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Those little bubbles. <laughs> I'm going to remove all that junk. Get a heat gun and yeah. have some patience. Yeah, I've, 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 my approach is uh, using a uh, steam wand. Like that works pretty well. Uh, and to just heat it up that way and, uh, just patience as you said yeah a lot and then if you have residue um i use like a very 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 fine steel wool um like in between the uh, lines and um go- you know the um goof off or gugon or whatever the orange based one that one works pretty well and, and then and then after that you you get it get into it with clean it all off with a microfiber cloth but the steam wand is, is the way to do it it's just so time consuming and it sucks <laughs> yeah, I, I remember we were removing yeah. tim from my buddy's e28 m5 and Gosh, that just took forever because it had bonded to the, you know, the defrosting uh, line. So mm. we were just scraping and scraping. But that's that's really good process, I would say. And to your point about goof off, that's going to function similarly or similarly to the tar and sap removers. They're going to be, you know, solvent based mm. and 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 generally safer than say a really aggressive commercial grade uh, adhesive remover. Which those are super effective. So I can't knock. Them too. Yeah. Yeah. So let's get back to uh, cars. That was the last question we had. But uh, I was curious, uh, your personal garage, What's what do you got going on? And uh, what's on your wish list? What are you looking for or hope to uh, get? Oh, you're going to get some weird stuff. Um, so <laughs> my, my two, I, I think the, the thing that's probably the most alignment is the three cars I drive the most are all Radwood cars. I, I daily drive a 1990 Grand Wagoneer. Um, I had LS swapped it about three years ago, put 10,000 miles on it. And we're now about three days away from me jumping back into it after a complete uh, roadster shop frame swap. So Whoa. It, that, that was a big jump. Um, but to, to, like, I just don't want, I was making this old car, the new car I want it to be without anything I didn't. And so, mm. you know, with all the miles I was putting on that thing, um, you know, the brakes were terrible. I nearly lost my life to a guy pulling out of a prosthetics shop. Um, like, like I just like, Hey, when the, that happens. the irony there is, is it, it was pretty wild. Um, and, and then, you know, I'm putting my kids and wife in here. And, uh, so I, I needed more brakes. Uh, I wanted to keep live axles, but have it handle better. And when we were looking at 
modifying the 150,000 mile frame that was on the car with links and boxing certain components. It was like, this is going to get real messy and we don't even know if it's going to work, right? The structure of the frame may not tolerate what we're going to ask right. it to do. So again, it was a big jump for that roadster shop chassis, but it's, it's going to be sweet. And um, the wheels are going to be 17 inch iterations of the original design. So it'll look um, nice like that, but it'll be coil sprung with, you know, linkage. So it's going to be hmm. uh, a pretty awesome car. And, and again, that just makes me so happy. It stinks. It leaks water. Um, but it, like, I only listen to AM radio and uh, <laughs> it, it's, it's the simplest pleasure I have is just driving that car. Um, what do you do with that? Cause I, those have re- are renowned for horrendous steering as well. Did you mess with that? Did you upgrade that? Um, the, the root mechanism uh, down to the stabilizer is the same. Um, but yeah. I, I'm, I'm presuming that uh, the stabilizer is way bigger than, than the one that was stock. I had a, a lift kit on it before, so I'm not looking for it to be a, you know, modern sports car. It just has to be, for sure. I just want yeah, it yeah. to be, more well-behaved uh, for, you know, I want to do 85 miles an hour crossing Wyoming on, on my way to Yellowstone. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, avo- and avoid someone leaving a parking lot if need be. And go from, you know, <laughs> yeah. a, a, a disc drum setup with a single piston caliper on the, on the front disc to, you know, a substantial six piston caliper and a rear disc. Whoa. As well. nice. So nice. So those, yeah, like nice. those basic things, it will do well. Um, but it's still a ratty old Jeep. And yeah. like, if you looked at it, you wouldn't steal it. Like that's what, but, uh, <laughs> that's good. If you crawled yeah. under it. And you're keeping the LS. Are you going Mopar or are you keeping the LS under it? It's an L96. So it's out of a, it's a six liter out of a, uh, kind of a heavy duty, uh, Chevy truck. And mm. I, I'm going to tow with it as well. So that was the kind of the choice there. And the, uh, the ease with which that swap was accomplished is, is based upon this company in Utah called the uh, Novak Jeep conversions. And they pretty much, if you get a connect and cruise, anything it, it um, mates up their adapter mates up right to the 231 transfer case. That's in the Jeep and is an excellent piece. So uh, that's cool. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I get actually Chris Jacobs is the one who gives me the most shit about not having a Mopar engine in that thing. But <laughs> it's a lot better than the AMC 360 that came out of it. So, oh, I bet. I bet. Yeah, absolutely. We had a really nice one at, at Velocity Radwood, um, dark blue with gold accents on the wheels. Um, and like the tan interior, it was probably the nicest Wagoneer I've seen in a long time. Yeah. Really Super nice. nice so, yeah, we were talking about it. I was talking about it with a friend who's looking for a vintage utility vehicle and, uh, we threw out the term wafty clunker because it, <laughs> it kind of wafts. It makes some rattles, but it still gets where it's going. And I think you've probably remedied a lot of that, that uh, clunkiness. Yeah. So I mean, if they're well-maintained, the, the 360 is perfectly fine. It's enjoyable. But all the vacuum that they're doing at the end of it, that's where I was just yeah. having all sorts of issues. I'd fix one yeah. thing. The other thing would break. I, you know, my, uh, record a radiator did distributor did egr valve did all the vacuum chasing and i was i spent as much as i did on on the motor i bought on the swap right yeah yeah no that's that's the right move um so wagoneer what else is okay so this is the car is trying to get ready for um pnw radwood it's a 1990 
Mercury Grand Marquis Colony Park. So, oh. um, <laughs> it, yeah, wagon, it's a wagon. Man. It's a wood sided wagon. Yeah. It's absolutely stupid. Um, you know, five wow. liter uh, V8 rear drive. Um, the one I got is about is about fifty thousand mile car, and I lowered it two inches, wow. and I've been waiting wow. on wheels since February. So, oh, thanks. yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah, it's. I mean, it's the world we live in right now, right? Like. They're yeah, steel know. wheels and um and they're they're custom to get the right offset, but they're gonna be you know 20 by eleven in the rear and 20 by nine in the front. So it's gonna be pretty cool. Damn. And uh that's that's cool. It, you know, what made you pick that? Are you a, a Mercury guy or like what why that wagon? I'm just um, probably because my dad played National Lampoon's vacation on repeat for my entire childhood, but <laughs> I, yeah, I was yeah. just kind of drawn to it. I, I don't, I really don't understand why, but I, I bought this car thinking, okay, like, I, you know, I've got a small family. I'm thinking about road trips. I just, this whole romance came over me. And when I got into it, I mean, it's, it's pretty fun. It, that one actually just floats around, has a V8 totally. and uh, everybody talks to me about that car. Like, I bet. I bet it's very approachable, right? Like everyone has a story and they they grew up in the back seat of one or whatever. Does it have rear facing seats or, or They're center, center facing? facing. Yeah. I, awesome. I'm a big fan of the Roadmasters of that era, but I've just, the Mercury's were, I don't know why they're just not as well preserved or you just don't yeah, see Yeah, this one's pretty clean. Mm-hmm. I, I was pretty impressed. And it's so, it's actually one of the guys, um, Art, who was in the top 40 with you. His name is Adam Lucasell. He, he uh, um, owns a dealership in Michigan. And again, the story is just wild and the underside was super clean for a Midwest car and the mileage and the color. I mean, it's the same color as my Grand Wagoneer. So I've got two dark blue wood sided 1990 idiot mobiles. But. <laughs> it's so funny, man. Yeah. It's like become your thing now. Next thing you know, you're going to be all woody, everything. Um, so what's his name? Uh, Musto, you know, Mike Musto. Uh, he posted one, a white one, I think he saw like at mid Ohio or something. And he was at like some hot rod event. And like, he's like, dude, this is my favorite car here. And he was going ape shit over it. And it had a for sale sign, I think. And he was trying to buy it. Uh, but it was, it was a grand marquee, um, yeah, colony park. And yeah, they're, they're, they're definitely like ironic, cool to me, but it sounds like it's also enjoyable, right? You just float along and they're, they're I imagine everything is readily available, right? Like all the parts are basically Mustang, right? And Ford stuff. So. It's wild how cheap the parts are. I mean, it's like the same, like all, everything is like Ford Crown Vic for like 20 years. It's all the same mm. stuff. So the parts have been just super, super cheap. Um, and, you know, that one does have a, a Bluetooth radio, so, like, I can just kind of zone out and drive that thing around. But the compression is so low that the guys at Griot's Motors are like, you got to put a blower on it. Like, that's the next step. <laughs> if you're still in love with it, after you drive it with these wheels on it, you got to supercharge it. So, like I said, I got problems. I'm trying to just stop it for a while and not have any kids, not buy any more cars, and just focus on selling <laughs> wax. But, <laughs> There you go. It's cool. A, um, anything anything more you, performance oriented? Oh, you said you have the R thirty two, right? You still have the Mark IV. Yeah, and I um, I you know the the first nice car I bought myself outside the R thirty two, um, like collector car. I bought an E thirty M three in twenty eleven, and it was the smartest thing I've ever done. And nice, it was uh, it was a car that you know its its front right fender had come off, so it didn't have all the tags. 
but it was a 60,000 mile car. And I've put, you know, 15,000 miles on that thing, just absolutely rat hammering it from, you know, Monterey, uh, you know, up and down the coast. And um, so I love that car. I, and it's not a great car to drive on the street because if you're driving it, like it's supposed to be driven, you're doing something illegal and you're drawing a lot of attention mm-hmm. to yourself. But I just have always loved that car. That was my poster car. Um, Sweet. What color? White. Alpine white. White. Yeah. And interior? Nice. Black. Oh, sweet. Nice. Yeah, they're they're nice. Car. You hit the nail on the head there. Yeah, those cars have to be driven near red line to and and that's where they're most enjoyable. So like <laughs> you can't you can't really do that. And if you're not doing that, you're like, oh, what? this thing is like torqueless and it's unco-, you know it doesn't make any sense. But uh, but that once once you're up there, I mean, it's it's those are uh, fun 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 cars. Um, well, yeah, good move on that. Yeah, that's it. so you said how many miles did you add? I've added fifteen thousand, so it's still seventy five thousand mile. No. that's a six figure car now. I, I know. I'm, yeah. I'm, yeah. I can't you probably it. paid what, like 20 or something. Uh, yeah. I, well, <laughs> so that was when I was in commercial real estate, you know, we were, uh, I, I graduated college in 09 and I was on the sales team and we just had a series of wins in terms of these sales that came together. So I had commissions uh, for that year. Mm. And of course, as opposed to saving it as 23, I bought a M3. Um, mm. and of course the only person I can turn to for car advice was like, yeah, why haven't you bought it yet? So, um, yeah, I, again, I, I think that one is I've done, I could do well on it if I sold it, but I just enjoy it. And it's not a, it's not a brick. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, you know, really well-maintained M3. I've done everything I can to make it nicer, but, um, that's probably, you know, a car I, I, I won't ever let go. Very cool. And by the way, I'm surprised that Warren didn't call me out because I, I said, what about any performance oriented vehicles? And he's like, what about that Wagoneer? That, Dude, yep. Wagoneer. <laughs> With that chassis swap. Um, I'm excited for that for sure. It looks like- it's been a, yeah, I mean, yeah. It, like the shop that has been helping me with that, uh, they had the SEMA crunch. They had two projects they were doing. So it just kind of dropped off their radar. Um, but yeah, I should be getting it back in the next week or so. That's epic, man. That's that's cool. that's huge. Congrats on Very that. Cool. Um, I do have a couple of trivia questions, unless there's something else you guys want to get to. Let's do it. Fire away. Okay. Go for it. There's trivia music, Nick. You have to know that first <laughs> going into it. Um, all right. <clears throat> Since we have uh, a master detailer here. These are going to be related questions. So, oh God, when was the first bottled car wax invented? What year did the world get car wax that you could just buy and have? And I'll let Nick go last. I'll let these other dummies go and set you up for. All right. Uh, um, I'll go nineteen oh eight. 1908. So you That's said bottled, but I doubt the first car waxes were in liquid form, right? Yeah, that's a good point. Oh, shit. Okay. That's a good point. Yeah, because it could have been in one of the, It was probably in a tin. It was, probably, you know, it was more like a paste or whatever. Yeah. This is a, this is, that's a good differential. Or WD-40. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, uh, okay. Uh, 1908, huh? Hmm. 19. 
Shoot, man. There's no wrong answers, Lane. There is, though. <laughs> 19, 1920. Whoa. Okay. All right, Nick. Comes down to you. I, mean, I, I, I know a lot of the history of uh, the, the McGuire's company, but I have, I'm going to go the under. I'm going to do 1895. Wow. Ooh. So I think if you guys were going with non-bottled car wax, you'd be much closer. But Plastone, which is oh. the trademark okay. name, was invented in 1944 uh, by Ben Hirsch. It was renamed Turtle Wax. Ah, so yeah. this is spray wax. Is so you talking were or? talking about bottled. I, I, that was my question, Warren. I don't think you ever said yes or no. I said bottled three times. No, but I mean, you said bottled, but I was... Okay. I, you know, the, uh, it was definitely a wild ass guess on my was... part because I know that, again, McGuire's, they're one of our competitors, but they've been at it for a very long time. And they were started right. early 20th century, 1901, I think. And they were adapting furniture polish to automotive use. So that's where it got fuzzy mm. to me. And I thought it's got to right. be before then, like somewhere in mm. Europe. But that's hmm. you're absolutely right. Yeah. It says in 1910, George Simons developed a cleaner uh, Carnuba wax for automotive paint work. And it came in a tin in 1910. So, um, and then it was later renamed to uh, Simonize. Oh, I've seen Both that. those brands. So all those brands uh, are still around. Right. Right. So it's bottled. Um, so what does that mean? Or is that like spray bo- wax? Is that what we're talking about? Oh, I think it's just like, it's like you turtle squeeze wax. out a bottle. It's a squeeze out. You oh, know, it's a liquid yeah. form. Yes. Yes. Just yes. liquid squeeze form. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, Pretty high viscosity, but liquid still. Like they, gotcha. and most yep. of them were yeah. kind of cleaner waxes. They kind of advertise a mild abrasion and and carnival protection. So, exactly. Um, all right, last one here. Paint protection film uh, was first developed and used by the military during the Vietnam War. What was it used for? The military contacted 3M to come up with this product, which we now see on all sorts of things. Uh, hmm. What did the military want it for in the Vietnam War? Probably not to keep the uh, the paint looking shiny on the tanks. I'm going to say <laughs> helicopter blades. Hmm. Nick, you know what? You're a pro, and you got it exactly. Are you serious? Right. Oh shit! Nice. <laughs> I'm not even gonna. Let, I was gonna let these other guys guess, but why? You you nailed it. Nice. Uh, you you got the price. The price is right. <laughs> Helicopter blades. How did you? Did you know um, that? I recently got talked to about de-icing on plane wings, yeah. uh, and <laughs> like how because I my plane was delayed, and some guy had had more knowledge than I did, and uh, <laughs> and time. That's, you know, just that's all I could think of was like. Vietnam was helicopters, right? They're using yeah, helicopters. Right. So um, I, I didn't think it'd be for troop safety uh, by any means. Um, yeah, right, right. Dang yeah, it. they wanted something uh, inconspicuous and low weight that would protect the the rotors of helicopters. And 3M came up with it. And now we see it on Miatas. <laughs> or <laughs> on Miatas, yeah. very specifically. <laughs> well, yeah, self-healing. <laughs> Um, self, have you guys seen that stuff feeling. where they, or you heat it up and it just like the, little, that's so cool. Yeah. The one thing that at SEMA two or three years ago, they had a, a protection film that went over windshields and it was to the point where you could, you know, fire a golf ball at it and the side with the protection was fine. And the other side was, was smashed and it was completely clear and usable. So 
I don't know how they do it, but uh, the technology know, is so future. much better than it started out with. And, you know, all the companies that now exist have kind of grown off of 3M's original product and improved it for different applications. And, you know, you know, Expel and SunTech, I mean, it's fantastic stuff. It's amazing. Are you guys yeah. doing yeah, like, there's that okay. there's that company that makes tearaways for windshields, which are pretty cool. Oh yeah, like NASCAR style. Yeah. Hmm. And they do That's... it for NASCAR and they make them for uh they're I know I forget the company's name, but they're also the uh IndyCar. They That's amazing. For all Indy cars. That they can do that and have it be clear. I just it seems so many like there's layers, no way right? it would work. Multiple but... layers with glue and everything. I mean, I was right? looking at right. I watched the F one race this last weekend, it was freaking excellent. And uh but you know, they're helmets. I, I have a race helmet and I'm, I hate the visor, right? Like I'm always challenged by yeah. it, but just to think that they maintain visibility with as many layers as they are. And then I, like one of the races earlier this year, somebody got a tearaway stuck on their rear wing and they had to hit because yeah. of it. Oh yeah. So I don't even know. Yeah. yeah. That was actually two races ago as Vettel. I believe. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And you see it sometimes it goes into the brake ducts or like um, what's fascinating to me is like, how does it never, never go into the intake directly above their head? Like that's got to be catastrophic, right? I mean, uh, yeah. and then somehow always they manage to go right. I go somewhere else, but um, yeah, there I always seen have to block pit, um, uh, radiators too. Like that's, I've seen cars oh, yeah, overheat yeah. because totally. of that. Um, I did have a question about ceramic coating. Um, so, um, there is like ceramic coating is all the rage right now, right? Um, there's products out there. Um, you guys have ceramic based products, like different things that you could apply to your, uh, to the paint, but do you guys have something like that? That's kind of semi-permanent as well now. So, um, we, you know, based upon our initial discussion about wanting to be, you know, vertically integrated or manufacturing, that is one, uh, space where we haven't been able to, um, you know, do that type of manufacturing in the same space where the diversity of other materials can uh, contaminate that type of product. So hmm. I, I think it's no secret we're developing um, something that we can use that way. But in the interim, we've had an opportunity to develop uh, the SIO2 or ceramic infused products because we have a lot of customers that do get their cars ceramic coated and they want the maintenance regime. And then even for somebody hmm. with no protection, our line of products are going to be excellent and easier to use than the high solids products that you're describing. So mm. it is my hope that yes, we're going to bring something to market uh, that will be very impressive. And we can say as much as possible as it relates to co-development and, and our hand as it relates to that product. But the, the biggest challenge for us and why we've kind of uh, been on the sidelines for so long is the manufacturing aspect and mm. um, wanting to be above water with all that. So that's, nice. that's been the biggest challenge, but you know, the coating technology has come a very long way. Even the SIO2 infused products. I mean, people can go into a auto parts store and get the best performing product they've ever used um, and, and not be frustrated by it and just be like, man, when do I need to re-wax my car? Gosh, it's been six, nine months, you know, a year. And so you can get that stuff for, you know, as little as $14 versus, you know, the higher solids ones. Most of the cost is born in, the hours and labor associated with perfecting the paint before that coating is actually applied. Um, mm, that makes sense. Cause it's not just a slap it on, right? You have to, you have to, whatever's underneath has to be in really good condition, right? Yeah. To, to seal that. I mean, cause it is, yeah. it is a essentially a sacrificial clear coat of sorts and, um, and it forms a covalent bond. It's on there. Like you, mm. you, know, you really want to be sure that the surface that 
um, it adheres to is as flawless as it can be. Whereas the SiO2 infused stuff, you get a lot of the benefits um, of that higher solid without having to, you know, necessarily care about the condition of the paint it's applied to. Obviously, it looks mm -hmm. better on a better maintained car, but yeah, um, yeah. You are these are these some of these like spray spray on wipe off type things? So it's they're not only adding that layer of protection, but the, the process is also cleaning the paint, right? And is is that how it works? Um, so there, there's, I'd say there's various, uh, now again, with that kind of breadth of technology, we can apply it into a, a car wash. Uh, and, and that, that point you're balancing the lubricity of the, the soap component with the ability of that protective component to bond to the paint. Whereas the best way to do, to get proper adhesion and most durability is to do steps ahead of time with say, just a standard car wash clay bar. Um, if you want to polish or correct your paint, that's that's going to provide a better surface for that product to adhere to. But again, one of our products, ceramic washing coat, it's all that's on my wife's car. Um, mm. It gets very dirty, so I, I wash it with a foaming step, and then I follow up with ceramic washing coat, and it leaves enough protection. I don't have to think twice about it. Nice. And how long does that last? Again, I mean, it's dependent upon conditions and use. Like if you go through a, a drive-through car wash with the you know, oh, brushes yeah. <laughs> from hell, it's gone. And, and mm. that'll be the same mm. with your ceramic coating. It'd be greatly diminished. Uh, but you could easily see three to four months out of a single wash with ceramic washer coat. It's pretty incredible. That's great. That's awesome. So that, yeah, will beat up the same way. And like, you know, like this, so the water just kind of runs off all that. It won't be as intense as say the, the high solid coating. There's, there's no doubt. I, oh, I have okay. to qualify that some because the, the mm. percent actives relative to the professionally installed stuff, uh, they're not comparable, right? I mean, we're, we're, mm. we're talking like a 75% delta in, in some cases oh, okay. uh, of, of the active you know, ingredient SiO2. But mm -hmm. for somebody that's used a wash and wax and rinse their car off and be like, there's no wax left behind with this wash and wax, it's a completely different ballgame. You will rinse that car mm. off and be like, holy crap, something's happening. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah. And especially as you're saying, it's it's something that anyone can do, right? Whereas like, you know, you, there's, you don't have to drop it off at a professional shop and all that, which is, you know, that that's for someone out there. But, and, and, and I hope eventually when you guys are involved, you know, that's a great product to have, but it's nice that it's basically a car wash and it actually protects your paint that way. Yeah. And so, it's spending thousands of dollars. Yeah. Or 1500 bucks to do and, and those are all legit. If you go to a, a good enough detailer that it's, it's, it's hard for me to say it's worth the money because I can do the work, but if you aren't able to do it, um, then it's a great way to go for it. And in, in all honesty, it's been a huge boon to detailers as a profession. Those guys can make six, six figures now and do really well for mm -hmm. themselves. So it's a great service for them to offer. And, you know, somebody buys a Ferrari, they're not blinking at 2000. They want the best thing for mm -hmm. their car and they probably don't wash their car all the time. Anyway, they want some concierge service. So they set up some care regimen with a detailer. It's great. So yeah, they have some kids at the golf course do it right in the back of behind the golf pro shop. <laughs> Man, if that were around, yeah, I would have been buying a lot nicer cars earlier for sure. But <laughs> awesome. Right on. Cool, Nick. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we look forward to having you at future events, especially uh, the Griots team at Torrance this Saturday. And um, yeah, this has been great. Yeah, it was really nice to talk with you guys. Um, anytime you want to do this for more detailing questions from your audience, uh, I'll, I'll make myself available. I've really enjoyed it. And 
Uh, we really enjoy what you guys have done for Radwood and that entire culture that you create around that event. So we'll continue to support you there for sure. Awesome. Thank awesome. you very Sweet. much. Uh, any, any plugs, anything you'd like to plug? Uh, I mean, it's holiday season. If you've got a car lover, you know, you can always send them to griotsgarage.com. Uh, it's a busy season for us, but, uh, you know, we, we like making people happy and, um, yeah, again, you'll see, you'll see our crew down at, uh, at Radwood and you'll see us around next year. Uh, hopefully doing more events with you guys. Excellent. Cool. Sweet. Thanks. Nick. Right. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks Nick. a lot, Nick. Yeah. Bye. All right. See, see you soon. soon.